Today's scripture is from Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven came, can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. There are some things that you should never, ever mix. Bleach with just about anything except water, uh, especially ammonia, uh, but as we can see, also vinegar mixed with bleach uh, can be harmful to your health. Uh, if you mix bleach with ammonia, it can kill you. I've been told that you should not eat grapefruit if you're taking statin drugs. I've also heard that there are certain drugs that you should avoid if you drink alcohol. And there is one mixture that you should always avoid. Hot dogs on sandwich bread. You should always eat a hot dog on a bun not on a piece of bread. Kara's up here giggling um, because we had arguments over this in our early days of marriage and sometimes uh, it comes up again like it did today. <laughs> but seriously, uh, there, there is a, a, another mixture that you should always avoid and that is law mixed with grace. Um, but there are plenty of people who do try to mix law and grace, and when you do, we have the fake good news that we're going to talk about today. 
in our text this morning that um, we just heard, Peter comes up to Jesus and asks him, how many times should I forgive my brother? Now, I don't know if he was thinking about his literal brother, Andrew, or if he was thinking about, you know, one of his brothers, uh, maybe one of the other disciples, or, you know, maybe uh, someone he went to synagogue with. We don't really know that for sure, but let's assume just for a moment, just for the sake of thinking about it, that he was thinking about Andrew. Um, you know, sharing life with a brother can be problematic, can it not? How many of you have a brother? Has your brother ever annoyed you? I see uh, heads nodding, some of them vigorously. Uh, so you can understand what Peter must have been thinking. What kind of offenses does your brother do that just irritate you or did irritate you when you shared maybe a room together or something? Maybe he left the cap off the toothpaste to you, uh, or maybe he was always borrowing some favorite jacket or something that belonged to you and wore it without permission, or uh, perhaps he would not clean up his side of the room, make his bed, or anything like that. Um, any, any kind of manifestation of brotherly evil. Uh, those kinds of things could come to mind now when we're thinking about you know, Peter coming to Jesus. How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? How did he come up with this seven times thing? Well, I'm not exactly sure, but if you go uh, to what the rabbis taught in those days, they, they said that you were only required to forgive someone three times. After that, you could do whatever you wanted. Uh, where did they come up with this formula of three times you should forgive? Well, the prophet Amos in the first chapter uh, used this phrase, um, the following phrase. He used it often uh, throughout his book. It says, for three sins, yea, and for four, uh, God brings judgment upon such and such a city. That's kind of how the, the narrative of Amos goes. And so it might seem that uh, Peter thinks, okay, for three sins, yea, for four. So he takes that and has three for one uh, application, and he adds to it um, four. You know, it says three, yea, for four. Put them together, you got seven. Maybe that's how he came up with it. Uh, nonetheless, uh, Jesus responds in a way that Peter didn't expect. And uh, Jesus says, uh, no, uh, but 70 times seven. So does he mean 490 times you should forgive your brother? Uh, actually, what Jesus is saying here, this is a, a, a way of saying as many times as your brother comes to you for forgiveness, uh, you should extend it. Uh, so there should be no end to the times that you would forgive your brother. And then to make sure that Peter really understands what he's saying, he tells this parable of the unmerciful servant. And before we get into the parable, I want to draw your attention to the fact that the unmerciful servant was looking to mix law and grace, which again is something you should never do. Mixing law with grace leads to fake good news. It induces you to believe that you can and must contribute something to your own salvation. 
It also stands in the way of you showing mercy. The man of the parable wanted grace for himself from the king to whom he owed a gargantuan sum of money, and he wanted law for the man who owed him a small amount of money. So don't mix law with grace. It convinces you that you can and should contribute something to your salvation, and it shuts off the flow of mercy from your heart. And then there's something else we should be aware of. Uh, have you ever noticed that uh, we always seem to want to be paid for someone else's mistakes? Like the time you go to a restaurant and you order something from the menu and they get it wrong. Uh, either your steak is overcooked or undercooked. And if it's not properly cooked, what do you expect? Well, you expect them to make it right or give it to you for free or maybe both. Uh, what do you uh, expect when uh, you give someone a gift in return? You would like to have a thank you, wouldn't you? Either a verbal or a written note. They owe that to you. And uh, if you were to stop and think about it, you could make some people aware of a debt that they owe you, and you could amass some pretty good reasons why they owe you. So what I wanted to communicate to you here is that inside all of our minds, there is this a storehouse of things that we believe that we should be compensated for, the things that people owe us as a result of one thing or another. Now, I should say that there should also be a storehouse stored in, in your mind or your soul somewhere where you think about all the things that you owe to others, but that doesn't exist. Uh, it's only the storehouse that um, things that you think other people owe you that's there. So if we're talking about human nature here. And uh, by the way, if you are joining us for the first time, we've been working our way through a sermon series titled a Fake Good News. And there are a lot of things that Christians believe to be good news, but in reality, those things are not true. They're fake good news. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between fake good news and real good news. And that's why we're doing this series. We're looking to sharpen our discernment skills. And today we're looking at the fake good news that influences you to believe something like this, that you should always be paid for someone else's mistakes, but you don't have to pay for your own mistakes. And we will see in the parable that we're going to go through in a little more detail in uh, just a minute. But before we get there, I, I want you to imagine uh, something. I mean, can you imagine what the world would be like if people thought like that? I mean, if, if people were always thinking, I had to be paid for the mistakes of others. I had to be paid, repaid for the damages incurred as a result of what someone did uh, to hurt or to uh, offend me. But I don't have to pay any damages or compensation to anyone I've hurt. Can, can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world where people actually believe that? Well, look around you. 
Um, people next to you may be thinking that. Uh, if you watch the news or get your news online or from radio or TV, uh, you're going to see plenty of examples of people who were outraged about something that they think they should be compensated for. And if that doesn't convince you, then go home and look in the mirror. Everyone thinks like this. The parable of the unmerciful servant is a mirror. It helps us see not just what we look like on the outside, but what we look like on the inside as well. In this parable, we see several principles of forgiveness, uh, which may be startling, yet they are true and they are liberating. So here's what Jesus wanted Peter to see and what he wants us to see. You're worse than you thought. Your sins are far greater than you ever imagined. That's one thing. The other thing he wants us to see is that cashing in on the sins of others um, that they have committed against you will not save you. Although the sins that the others commit against you are not insignificant, Jesus does recognize that, cashing them in and converting them to the currency of righteousness will in no way balance your account. And the last thing I want to point out is that grace is something that you don't pay back. You pass it on to others. So let's go through it uh, one principle at a time. First one again is you're worse than you thought. Your sins are far greater than you ever imagined. Let's go to uh, verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, it's difficult to estimate how much money that would have been. Uh, it may have been just a way of saying it's the largest conceivable debt that anyone could imagine. That's because in the Greco-Roman world, uh, the largest number they had was 10,000. Uh, the largest form of any currency was 10,000. Uh, today, 10,000 doesn't really mean for us what 10,000 did in uh, those days. So um, let me try to help us understand just how big a number this 10,000 talents really was. Uh, we have a tendency to think, well, talents would equal to a dollar, 10,000 talents. Not insignificant, but uh, not insurmountable either. Uh, so uh, just for the sake of understanding, for the sake of clarity, one talent equaled 20 years wages for a common laborer. So 10,000 talents uh, would equal 200,000 years of wages or 60 million days of wages. We're beginning to see just how massive uh, this debt was that the man owed to the king. Um, let me try to help us understand uh, a little more clearly. Numbers don't really have a whole lot of impact on us. Uh, I mean, the term million used to be a 
a huge gargantuan sum of money, but you know, a lot of people have uh, a net worth of over a million dollars who are just uh, you know, middle class people. Um, so a uh, million doesn't really mean as much to us as it did to um, you know, generations before us. Uh, even a billion, which is a thousand million, is not totally inconceivable. Uh, some people in the world today are millionaires, people like computer gurus and clever businessmen and even some prosperity gospel preachers are billionaires. The next category uh, is a trillion. A trillion is a million million. That's one with 12 zeros. There it is. That's what a trillion is. I'm not sure anyone can understand just how massive that number is unless you are a U.S. congressman. Uh, then you probably don't have too much difficulty with that. Uh, by the way, speaking of Congress and big numbers and so forth, I, I looked up uh, the national debt. You can go to a website and it will give you, you know, up-to-the-minute um, report of what the the U.S. Uh, national debt is, and so as of Thursday afternoon, I think at about 2.30 p.m., the national debt was $30,422,296,050,212.64. These are real-world numbers in terms of money owed. And when Jesus threw out the number 10,000 talents, he wanted Peter, as well as all of us, to realize just how unfathomable our debt of sin really is. Oh, just for fun. We could stand some fun, couldn't we? Uh, what's the highest number that we might possibly be able to comprehend? Uh, the one we have there? Well, it's actually higher than that now. Uh, I don't know exactly. Um, but... Let's, uh, let's think about some things. Um, as we have uh, already seen, a billion is a one with nine zeros after it. A trillion is a one with 12 zeros after it. And if you continue this pattern, uh, you get to a 10 duotrigontillion, which more commonly is known as a Google. Uh, by the way, I spelled the word Google correctly Google used in this context is a number. A, and by the way, uh, this is where Google, the search engine, got their name. They're saying you know, there's an unlimited number or uh, a, a amount of information that you can get. But the number Google is 10 to the 100th power, which is a one followed by 100 zeros. I thought about putting a one and 100 zeros up on the screen. Uh, for you to look at. I'm sure you would have been um, impressed beyond description, um, but I didn't have the patience to do that. So you'll just have to be satisfied uh, with 10 to the 100th power. Now, how big a number is that? Well, um, a Google is larger than the number of elementary particles in the universe which amount to only 10 to the 80th power. Now you know this is true because I looked it up on Google. 
the other Google. Looked up Google on Google. Well, somehow the servant accumulated a ridiculous amount of debt, and that's the point that Jesus is making here. Your sins are far more numerous than you ever dared believe. So the man squandered an enormous amount of money. There's no way he could ever pay it back. If the man we know as the unmerciful servant devoted 100% of his salary toward the debt, it would take him about 200,000 years to pay it back. Now, this is a crazy high debt. He can never hope to repay. Now, how did this servant come to owe such a crazy high debt? The numbers don't even make sense until we start to see the spiritual point that Jesus is making. Um, so, Again, I want to illustrate um, just how quickly uh, things can pile up without you realizing it. Um, when World War I began, Germany suspended the gold standard to help them pay for the ongoing costs of the war. And before long, their currency escalated into runaway hyperinflation. We are in a season of inflation. It seems pretty hyper to me, you know, with the cost of consumable goods, especially gasoline, uh, you know, seemingly going through the, the roof. We've never seen it this high before. Um, although I was calculating the other day, the car that Kara drives uh, gets exceptionally good mileage, uh, you know, 40, 45 miles to the gallon. I thought, well, the car I drive gets you know, exceptionally average mileage, like uh, 17 to 20, something like that. And when gas was 250 gallon, I was happy enough with that. But if I drive Kara's car, um, I'm gonna spend the same amount of money on gas um, in her car that uh, I would have, at, at today's price, that I would have spent at last year's price on my car. So, you know, a lot of things are relative. Um, but the thing that happened in, in uh, World War I Germany and uh, the, the, the years following that is, is just uh, astounding. So before World War, I, World War I, a German mark was valued at four marks per dollar. In December 1918, it took eight marks to buy a dollar. A year later, it took 47 marks to buy a dollar. Two years later, in November 1921, it took 263 marks. And by July 1922, it took 493 marks to make a dollar. A month later, it took over 1,000 marks. And by October 1922, it was 3,000 marks per dollar. Two months later, it was 7,000. Can you imagine driving up to of McDonald's in the drive through lane, and you stop there and you look at the menu and this friendly voice says, welcome to McDonald's, would you like to try something from our $7,000 menu? Uh, no thank you. Hyperinflation's not done with Germany, it gets worse. A month later, January 1923, it took 17,000 marks to make a dollar, and April it was 24,000 marks. You might think that it's hit the ceiling now, but this is where things really start to escalate. 
Three months later, the mark's value fell from 24,000 to 353 marks per dollar. And by August, get this, it took over 4 million marks to make a dollar. A month later, in September, it took over 98 million marks for a dollar. But we haven't hit the ceiling yet. In October, it was over 25 billion marks per dollar. And in November 1923, it took 2 trillion German marks in exchange for 1 U.S. dollar. By 1923, December 1923, it took more than 4 trillion marks to buy $1. So, of course, at this point, German currency was worthless. You might use it to start a fire. That would be the only real value that it might have. Hyperinflation had escalated so quickly the German people had no idea how to respond. It was during this time that there was a, a man in Germany who was tipped one U.S. dollar by an American. And so you know what he did with his dollar? Well, first he went to an investment advisor and uh, hired him to advise him how to invest that, one dollar. Wages in those days were paid twice a day to give people a chance to spend them before they lost their value. There was a student who bought a cup of coffee for 5,000 marks. He drank two cups and was given a bill for 14,000 marks. When he protested, the guy who owned the coffee shop said, well, if you wanted to save money, you should have ordered both cups of coffee at the same time. Just as pre-war or the pre-war German mark was valued at four marks per dollar, we might see ourselves as a four cents per week kind of person. Maybe if we think we're doing really well, uh, we're going to see ourselves as four cents per month kind of a person. The more humble among us might admit to being a four cents per day person. But the more honest among us would admit to more than four cents per hour, maybe four cents per minute. Um, I think I fit in that category. I'm trying to help us understand just how quickly our sins accumulate and how resistant we really are to the seriousness of, of sin. The uh, parable of the unmerciful servant tells us quite a story about how enormous our debt of sin actually is. This servant wasn't an old man. He was married and had kids at home. So uh, let's assume that he was uh, maybe getting close to middle age. Um, so um, someone has figured out the numbers. If, if the man in the parable is 35 years old, he has accumulated a debt of over $3 million a week. So that's $171 million for every year of his life. That's how massive his debt is. And this hits me in the face with the truth that I am not a four sins per week person or even a four sins per day 
person. You know, I'm the three million sins per week person. Sins of commission, sins of omission, sins I'm aware of, sins I am not. Sinful impulses of the heart, motives, thoughts, actions, absence of godly impulses, motives, thoughts, and actions. It's overwhelming. But it's an essential truth of the kingdom of heaven that we need to be familiar with. We are sinners who owe God a crazy, high, astronomical debt due to sin. This is bad news, which makes us ready for some good news, right? Are you ready for some good news? I'll get to that, um, but I want to mention that it also makes us susceptible I mean, all this bad news makes us susceptible to fake good news, which sounds a lot like this. There are people in your life who owe you something. Maybe they sinned against you, and you can collect what they owe you. And the many times and ways they have wronged you are surely most, uh, they're worth most of what you owe on your sin debt. So if you can just go to the people who have wronged you, and collect from them and convert those wrongs committed against you, uh, convert that to the, con uh, to the currency that you can deposit into your righteousness account. You're convinced that all of the sins that you collect from others are going to do more than just balance out the account. You're going to be totally righteous. My friends, I want you to know that our sins are not forgiven upon the basis con of converting someone else's sin to our righteousness. Our sins are forgiven as a result of the only righteous one who ever lived, the only perfect human being who ever existed. By his death, by his shed blood, he has paid for our sins and Simply because we believe in him, that is counted as righteousness. There's your good news. In verse 28, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So how much did the fellow servant owe the one who was choking him? Well, a uh, uh, hundred denarii. Uh, how much is that? Well, uh, a denarii was the going wage for a general laborer. So to make things uh, interesting, uh, $15 an hour, that's sort of the more or less uh, going rate for general labor today. And uh, eight hours uh, a day, that makes $120. And if you multiply that times uh, 100 days, that's how you get the, the figure of $12,000. Uh, that's a significant sum of money, isn't it? I mean, if, if someone were to give me $12,000, I would think, wow, wow, uh, that is a very generous gift. Uh, or if someone came to me and said, uh, got some bad news for you. Uh, there's some plumbing issues in your house and it's going to cost $12,000. I'm really fearful that I might hear that uh, from a plumber sometime soon. Um, but it's, it's a matter of perspective, uh, isn't it? Um, what Jesus is saying by 
using the, the terminology that, that he uses. It, he wants to make it clear that the wrongs that people commit against you, the sins that others commit against you, are not insignificant. He recognizes that. But in light of the offenses that you have committed against God, in light of the sins that you have committed against him, the amount that you owe someone else, or someone else owes you, rather, is not that significant. So that's what Jesus wanted Peter to see, and what he wants us to see, which leads us to the second principle of forgiveness, that cashing in on the sins that others have committed you will not save you. And our eyes, the sins committed against us, are, are always, or they seem, always seem more serious, more egregious, and more worthy of compensation than the sins that we commit against others. So although the sins that others commit against you are not insignificant, cashing them in will, will not yield enough righteousness to balance your account. And yet, this is the fake good news that so many people believe that you can atone for your sins by collecting from those who have sinned against you. That's not good news at all, is it? Um, yet, it's precisely the false gospel that we often preach to ourselves over and over and over again. This is the so-called gospel that the unmerciful servant believed that he had to continue to collect from others what they owed him. So what should the unmerciful servant have preached to himself? The real good news that he had actually been forgiven, which in the parable is what had happened. The king had compassion upon him and erased his debt. And how did the servant respond as a result of having been forgiven that massive debt? He goes to someone who owes him a paltry, by comparison, amount, seizes him by the throat, and demands that he pay him in full. And the second servant, fellow servant, begs for the same thing that the unmerciful servant begged for was an extension of time. Give me enough time and I will repay you. But the man who had just been forgiven this massive debt said, absolutely not. And had him cast into prison. They would throw debtors into prison in uh, days of antiquity to put pressure on family members to come up with enough money to bail them out or uh, somehow redeem them and um, they're going to get their money one way or another. But when we tell ourselves that we can balance our sins out because we know that people who have sinned against us is a far greater number than the sins that we have committed against God, we are preaching a false gospel to ourselves thinking that we can be redeemed by some other way than the method or the means by which God has provided for us through Christ. So isn't it time we started preaching the truly good news that Christ offers us, the forgiveness of our sin debt, simply because he has compassion on us? Isn't it time that we preach to ourselves the message that the true good news is real, that we don't have to 
earn approval from God or squeeze others who owe us something because our sin debt has been paid in full. Yes, it is time that we did that. It's time we worshiped and lived in appreciation for what Christ has done for us by wiping our debts clean and transferring his righteousness to our account. This brings us to our third principle of forgiveness, that the extent of God's mercy is hard to grasp. The final verses in this passage uh, bear this out. Uh, I'm just going to read it rather than put it on the screen. Uh, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What did the unmerciful servant ask his master for? Hey, can we settle this? Can we cut a deal? 50 cents on the dollar, 10 cents on the dollar? Loan forgiveness? No. What, what did he ask for? Could I have an extension of time? I just need a little more time. If, if you could give me time, I can make this up. Some people, uh, some Christians, um, believe in a place called purgatory. Purgatory is the place where you go after death. Um, if your righteousness isn't enough to get you into heaven, and that would be the case for most people, apparently. Uh, but supposedly, uh, you go to purgatory because there are some sins that Jesus either cannot or will not forgive you. And so you have to work those off uh, in purgatory. That's sort of what this man was asking for. Um, Jesus is saying, you don't owe me anything. It's like saying, um, you can be with me in heaven. And he was saying, I don't want that. Could I just go to purgatory? <laughs> and I'll, I'll make up my sins there. Why is it that we have such a low regard for the gospel? Why is it we, that we have such low regard for the value of the atonement of Christ and we think of other ways that are, uh, to us, maybe they save our pride, maybe they give us a sense that we are making some kind of contribution to our own salvation. Why are we so slow to believe that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe? Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Well, the unmerciful servant um, failed to grasp the master's grace. Uh, it was offered to him. He didn't get it. He thought he could work his debt off, and when the debt was canceled, uh, he just couldn't wrap his head around that much mercy, uh, which leads us to our last principle of forgiveness, which is this, that mercy is not something you pay back. 
It's something you pass on to others. None of us can repay mercy. None of us can repay grace. Grace is a gift. It's free. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We need to continually preach this message of grace to ourselves, to ourselves, because, like the unmerciful servant, we have a tendency to not believe it. That's why we have to keep repeating it to ourselves. We're slow to believe. Can't wrap our minds around it. It's just too good to be true. Therefore, it can't be true. And a lot of people believe that God keeps track of your righteous deeds and your righteous ones. They believe that at the end of your life, God evaluates your life. He uh, has memory of all of the righteous things that you've done in your life. And he's also got a record of all of the unrighteous, uh, bad things that you've done in your life. And the belief is that uh, when God weighs these in the balance, whichever one um, is weightier, if uh, your righteous deeds outweigh uh, your unrighteous deeds, then you go to heaven. If not, uh, then uh, you would be turned over to the torturers. So um, that's the way a lot of people believe. And most people believe that they really don't have anything to worry about. They're convinced that their righteousness far outseeds, far exceeds their unrighteousness. Um, for some people, they might think, well, maybe I need just a little more righteousness to tip the scales in, in my favor. And that's where they start thinking, hey, I know some people who have wronged me and I never collected on that. If I can collect on that, I will have enough to tip the scales in my favor. There are a lot of people who believe that salvation is something you earn, or at least that you contribute to. But in the scheme of salvation, the only thing that we contribute to the forgiveness of sins are the sins themselves. Christ does it all. And understanding that, grasping that, meditating upon that, preaching that to ourselves should cause us to marvel at what God has done for us. So friends, we're not saved by a combination of our righteousness and the wrongs that other people have done against us and we've converted that somehow to the currency of righteousness. We are saved by the righteousness of Christ and his righteousness alone. Christ's righteousness is credited to, to our account by grace through faith. So, how do you know that you really believe the genuine good news of the gospel? And not the fake gospel that you can pay your own way into heaven as long as you can get others who owe you to pay up. The answer comes to us in the parable itself. The unmerciful servant was shown mercy to an outrageous degree, but when it came to showing mercy to someone who owed him uh, a comparatively small amount, the first servant was outrageously merciless to the second servant. 
If you have received mercy, you will show mercy. If you will not show mercy, it's evidence that you haven't received it. Most of us are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, in that prayer, there is a line where the Lord instructs us to pray that our Heavenly Father will forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I want us to conclude. If you'll stand with me, please. There is uh, two sections of scripture I would like for us to recite together. Um, another way of saying we're preaching this to ourselves and to one another. The first section is from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And now uh, the Lord's Prayer, uh, for those who may not be familiar with it, I have it off the screen. Let us pray this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's bow together. Our Father, as we come to the conclusion of having considered uh, this parable and the, come to the realization of how massive our debt of sin really is and how unfathomably gracious and generous you are to us that out of the riches of your righteousness you gladly share that with us you impart it to us you credit it you credit your righteousness to our account so that we are regarded by the lord god almighty as being as righteous as christ himself May this truth sink in, may we believe it, and may it spill over to the point that we nourish others with this truly wonderful news. Through Christ we pray, amen.